Classic Business with Michael Avery, sponsored by Alex Forbes, for insight, advice and impact. Now, as we know, a couple of years ago, I think it was 2020, ESCOM established its Just Energy Transition office, or the JET model, intending to progress the evolution for a transition towards a cleaner and greener energy future, moving away from coal power, and JET's vision focuses on achieving net zero carbon emissions by 2050, uh, with the requisite increase in sustainable jobs, and ultimately, I think it's South Africa, it's, uh, you know, top of mining, uh, um, and, and most industries, minds that we we just need to secure our energy security. I'm uh, joined now by the CEO of uh, Siemens Sub-Saharan Africa, Sabine Dalomo, who's in uh, my pop-up studio here at the Mining in Dubai. Sabine, we always tend to catch up around this time. And you've been on a few panels talking about nuclear energy and uh, innovation and technology uh, as well when it comes to mining. Let's just, let's just talk about nuclear because it's interesting in so many ways when we talk about the net zero drive because it is it's it's net zero it has waste and other environmental challenges and we've seen in germany the last few uh, stations were decommissioned um, last year and and then security of supply issues from russian gas of the war in ukraine have raised concerns that maybe that decision was taken too hastily what is your view on nuclear's role broadly in the the global push towards net zero yeah, Michael, thanks. Thanks for having me. And it's always nice to catch up with you here at Mining in Daba. Yeah, look, nuclear, obviously, from the German perspective, Germany decided after Fukushima to step out of uh, nuclear energy. And as you rightly said, last year in April, uh, Germany shut off the last three reactors um, for good. And they can't be put back into service. But when we look at the climate debate and we look at CO2 and you really try also to off-trade coal versus gas and because gas also emits uh, CO2 and emits methane during the transportation and production of it. So the question really is if we want to reach carbon neutrality or we want to keep our um, climate target of, of 2% warming as max, then we will need to come up with some other ideas. And so the discussion around nuclear obviously resides from the fact that in the past, like you had these events like Chernobyl and Fukushima, where there was significant exposure also to the environment because you had water-cooled uh, nuclear technology. But I think when we look specifically to Europe, you have like countries like Finland, which says, well, we go full-on nuclear, and I think more than 60% of their electricity comes from nuclear power, and they just have uh, completed one uh, nuclear power plant, Olkiyoto 3. It was uh, ready, I think, also last year. It went into service, and they're planning to build another six going forward in order to meet the demand. And the reason why they say this is because any other product they would use in order to well, generate electricity would have more negative side effects. And when we look at um, nuclear waste, obviously that's a very contentious topic because uh, specifically also in Germany when we started this nuclear technology, that was a, a huge concern, where would it be stored? And currently it's a very national discussion, it's not a global discussion, so yeah. each country cares for themselves in that matter. But nevertheless, it is believed that most probably the nuclear waste we would be able to secure better with the side effects than currently the emissions which we put forward. 
Yeah, so it's a question of uh, you know choosing the lesser of two evils uh, in this transition and how we get there. When it comes to the cost, I know that you know the capital cost and the significant upfront cost has always been um, a, a, a critique of nuclear power and also the long lead times. How can the economic viability of nuclear energy be improved, especially in comparison to other more more uh, renewable technologies like wind and solar, which tend to cost a bit less and come on stream a bit quicker? How do we then um, think of nuclear in that broader context? Well, look, I mean, first, you need to decide between the, the countries which currently maybe have an energy crisis, like South Africa, and countries which have sufficient capacity and do replacement technology. For them, obviously, I mean, the, the concern about nuclear is, first of all, the lead time of construction. And I think all Kyoto 3, the example I just gave, it was like more than 10 years delayed uh, than originally planned because of, you know, cost overruns, but also design difficulties. And then you need to permit. Uh, the permitting of nuclear power is quite a, a challenge. So for countries which currently don't have an electricity crisis, I think they can really replace current existing stock with new technology in nuclear and there are also some these micro or modular nuclear power plants which also can can assist in that way but when we look at south africa when we talk about and we have currently i think a tender out for 2500 megawatt yep. nuclear power by the department of energy and minerals so when we look at south africa it's not a solution to fix our power crisis currently so it's rather a solution which we would look forward when coal-fired power stations, which give us currently the base loads in order to also, you know, cover when our renewable grid becomes bigger. So we have more capacity from renewable coming into the grid. We will have also more fluctuations. Yeah. And so once these power plants go off, then you might can replace them with nuclear technology. Yeah, and, and that is another key component in all of this, getting that mix right, uh, because you, you are going to have huge variability. Um, when you look at it, uh, and, you know, the, 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 the waste issue, I think, is probably one of the most contentious to get right. So what are the lessons that we've learned in how to deal with nuclear waste? Has there been huge innovation in, in the way we deal with it, or is it all just locked in a concrete metal drum and, and shot down into the earth somewhere? I mean, how are we dealing with the nuclear waste problem? Well, you know, there is there is a possibility to recycle some of the nuclear waste, specifically some of the, the newer products. And it's like the same with a battery, you can do that so often. And then, you know, you really have waste. Um, and currently the end solution or the current solution for the nuclear waste is really shovel it down, thousand meter down the ground and well cover it nicely up and make sure that nobody goes in maybe... 10,000 years and, and tries to find what we have uh, secured there. Mm. Uh, coming back to South Africa, and I mean, it's a very interesting conversation, particularly uh, because you mentioned the innovation in uh, the smaller modular reactors. And we had a big, pro uh, big program. We then shut it down. Sadly, we lost a lot of skills, a lot of capacity. If you're a nuclear scientist, you wanted to go work in countries where they were developing the technology. Um, what do you see as the, the best option in terms of developing a pathway out of the current energy crisis that we can pursue aggressively if you were advising the president ahead of his state of the nation address we have seen some movements around you know own gen the regulations lifted and then done away with the 100 megawatt cap 
We're seeing some movement in energy trading, very exciting growth point procured uh, its first energy from Itana. So we are seeing movement. It just feels far too slow. What would you like to see as Siemens? Well, for us, which we see specifically to address the energy crisis currently as fast as possible, it's clearly bringing more renewables and ideally PV onto the grid because PV is cost competitive, it can be relatively fast erected and can be connected to the grid and specifically in regions where we also still have capacity available. So that is definitely the answer to solve our, our problem until we get to a level where we maybe have 50% renewables, but we, we're currently not at that stage. Yeah. We, we see as well the, the call for, for gas, but you know, I always think we don't have a gas infrastructure. So, you know, the cost for maybe this technology will be pretty high when you have to put the infrastructure in. And then you have a product which we don't make ourselves in South Africa like coal. And maybe even if you think about um, uranium for nuclear power plants, which you could get from South Africa and Namibia, mm. there's a product we will have to buy, US dollar nominated on the free market. So it will be very expensive for the tariff. And looking at the composition of South Africa and the society, it needs to be still affordable for the broader population. So I think there are possibilities to extend currently the renewable technology to get a fast fix to the current situation. Mm. I think probably one of the biggest constraints, concerns is about the grid, is about ensuring that we invest in those areas of South Africa that have the highest, um, you know, um, solar um, potential and most of those areas, all of the grid capacity has been assigned already. Are you encouraged by what you hear around bringing the private sector in to help build out the grid? Because ESCOM doesn't have the balance sheet to do it alone anymore. No, absolutely. And, uh, well, this morning our discussion was exactly around the private transmission grid because it is working in other countries in Europe where the transmission companies are privatized. And I do believe it's a possibility for South Africa to make sure that business is in control of infrastructure. But on the other hand, also make sure, as you rightly mentioned, that the um, funding and the capital is brought in in order not to you know, overburden the public space. Yeah. Because, you know, what the interest of big business and specifically exporting business within South Africa is... When you think about the global legislation specifically around CO2 emission, ESG targets and, you know, commitments international companies have made to their stakeholders, shareholders, investors, they need to make sure that they get carbon neutral energy because they need to de-scope scope one or, or decarbonize scope one, two and three in their value chain of CO2. And as long as we have coal-fired power station that comes from the national grid, that will be very difficult. But once we, you know, manage section of the grid maybe based on renewables for, for that purpose, we will be able to give these companies also the certificate mm. that they use clean energy or so they don't put maybe rooftops all on, on their factories. Anyway, that was a key concern we addressed yesterday at a green hydrogen panel where, you know, it, it, it's all good and well. And we're talking scales of magnitude we've never mm. talked about when we talk about renewable mm. at gig mm. plus. We're talking gigawatts not megawatts for things like green hydrogen but you could build that next to your diesel and your electrolyzer down at the coast where you've got the seawater and uh, it would be tied and you wouldn't have any concerns about grid constraints it's easy to audit and uh, you can then export that green hydrogen to Europe which as we know 
is really looking for things like green hydrogen. So, again, there are opportunities. It's just about whether or not we're moving with the requisite speed. Are, are you confident that the, the urgency is, is, is inside government now to start moving a bit faster? Yeah, you know, it's the week of state of the nation. It always coincides with the mining in Darba. And, and the president looks like he's an emperor without any clothes at the moment. Well, look, I mean, the, the, the fact is that the president has waived the megawatt cap was an incredible change to the structure of the South African energy market. Because, you know, if you look back, it's now one and a half years ago, so you see a lot of projects coming on to, to the grids or coming um, into industrial use. Uh, you have partially, you know, wheeling agreements already between um, some of the industrial users to ensure um, that they can still use the ESCOM grid. And um, we, we see from a business point of view a significant movement there in the private field. And I believe that particular in the private side, it will dampen the, the electricity demand for ESCOM. Yeah? So the only problem with it is that the customers which are now changing over are the ones which normally pay their bills. So it's with the customer structure for ESCOM potentially an issue. Yeah, and that's always been a big concern. As, as we know, municipalities are, are not great payers, uh, and that's ultimately what you're going to be left with, a very difficult challenge for ESCOM and the government to think about. Uh, but, but really uh, a good news for the broader investability of the South African economy if you've got these private consumers really taking their consumption off-grid and doing deals uh, like the Atana Growth Point deal through Serengeti uh, as well. Just uh, lastly, I know you, you come to the mining in Darba every year. What is your sense of the mood at this year's in Darba? A lot of talk around the age of disruption mm. and all of these opportunities in green minerals. We saw what happened in the nickel market, overhyped, and now nickel miners are closing down left, right and centre. Miners are naturally optimistic individuals. Do, do you think that uh, this year maybe the mood is a slightly more tempered one, given where we are in the yeah, world? Yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's a bit more quiet because I think, um, first of all, you see a few of the mines are not here. The mining houses are not, not supporting the event. Um, and on the other hand, you see the disruption that we'll see on the digital side. They might not be that familiar with it because they are, that business case is a different one. But I do believe, and, and all the discussions which we have is really around how can you get artificial intelligence but also digital technologies into the mining operation to first of all lower the cost of exploration. Yeah, I mean, if you think like um, um, a digital co-pilot uh, in, in the context of before you start an exploration where you can simulate what is going to happen, you can you know foresee certain things and can adjust your expenditure, your business case also towards your investors are a different one. And it's very much combined with the fact because it goes into the topic of ESG because it's not only CO2 companies need to look out for. They need to look out for water consumption, pollution. They need to look out for human rights, uh, health and safety. These are all topics are covered in, for instance, the supply chain legislation from Europe. And if you want to um, supply the, the products from the African continent into the energy and transportation change in the European economies, we need to be compliant with it. Otherwise, it will be very difficult to, um, to sell the commodity. And for the mines, it will be very difficult to find investors. Yeah. And it would make funding their venture so much more expensive. Yeah, and as we see with CBAM now, I mean, we've been talking about CBAM for years. Now, all of a sudden, with the reporting, everyone's throwing their arms up in the air saying, whoa, let's talk about this. Well, we've been talking about it for years, as if 
it wasn't going to happen. Sabine Dalmo, a great pleasure having you in the studio, CEO of Siemens Sub-Saharan Africa, talking a little bit more about uh, the energy transition and really pragmatic approach to uh, how we uh, put an end to load shedding here on Classic Business. Take care. Classic Business with Michael Avery, sponsored by Alex Forbes, for insight, advice and impact.